All right. Well, hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you. If I have not had the chance to meet you before, my name is Lynn, and I work with our college-age ministry and also our internships program. And I'm just so glad to be here today. You guys, I spend most of my time at Blackhawk Downtown. Hey, Blackhawk Downtown. I'll see you guys next week. Uh, but today, I'm just so glad to get to be here with all of you. Now, I want to start our time with a story. Last year, uh, my husband, AJ, and I, we were planning a trip out to Seabrook Island, South Carolina. Okay, so maybe you've been there before. It's a super beautiful place. And we are fortunate that we have friends who live down there. So we had like a place to stay and the chance to enjoy the beach with our eight-month-old baby at the time. Now, the whole trip was amazing, all except for the traveling, right? There's always those traveling issues that can come up. You see, our plan was to fly from Madison, Wisconsin, out to Raleigh, North Carolina, catch a short layover, fly down to Charleston, and then just a quick drive to the beach. <laughs> Easy peasy, right? What could go wrong? Well, as it turned out, a lot of things went wrong, <laughs> okay? From delays to cancellations to getting rerouted all together. That's right, they sent us to a new airport. We finally made it to Myrtle Beach. It's like, great. All we need now is our rental car, which should be no problem, right? They told us, we transferred your reservation, your car will be ready. So we're like, great, we're in line waiting. Well, it'd been over an hour and we're waiting for our car. And let's just be real, we're Wisconsin people, so we're like sweating in the heat in South Carolina. And so we're there. It's been a long day of travel, you guys. And there's me just like, kind of like doing the stroller dance. You know, I'm like doing the stroller dance, trying to keep Clay calm, right? We've got like the sound machine going. I'm pulling out all the stops, doing everything I can. Meanwhile, there's AJ and he's just like really carrying the stress of it all. And he just keeps looking at me with this look like, We've got this. We've got this. And I'm like, do we though? Like, do, are you sure? Like, it's been a really long day. And he's like, we've got this. I'm like, okay, we've got this. Well, finally, we make it to the front of the line. I kid you not. We were right up. Like, it was our turn. Get us a car. Get us out of Myrtle Beach. Let's go. When all of a sudden, the guy behind the rental kiosk sort of steps out from behind the counter. Okay, never a good sign. And he loudly announces, that's it. We're all out of cars. We overbooked. We are now closed. You can try again tomorrow. You could just feel like the tension erupting in the space. As we looked down the way, we could see not one rental kiosk remained open. That meant zero cars available. People were starting to scramble. Emotions were high. I mean, everybody was asking for a manager, uh, like including us, like we were asking for a manager. We're like, who can we talk to? Like, what can we do? We can't stay here. Like we have our baby with us. We've got like our car seat and our car seat base and our stroller, not to mention like, I need to go pump sometime soon. I don't see any outlets in this space. Like we can't stay here. What are we going to do? And it was in this moment of panic and not knowing what was going to happen that we noticed a woman down at the far end of the rental kiosks. And she's just sort of going like this. She's just like sort of like waving us in her direction. We're like, that's weird. Her station has been closed the whole time, right? So we quickly go to her. We're like, what's going on? 
She looked at us. She said, where are you going? Like, tell me where you're headed. And we were like, wait, aren't you all out of cars? And she said, yes, but you have your baby with you. You can't be stranded like this. Now tell me where you're going because I'm going to do whatever I can in my power to get you a car today. Unbelievable. This woman, she saw us. She saw our baby. She saw our situation and she had compassion. She broke the rules for us that day and she got us a vehicle. Nobody else got a vehicle, but we did. We couldn't believe it. We were so grateful. We gave her a big thank you. I'm pretty sure I gave her a hug. And we're like, where can we write you a review? What a good Samaritan, right? I mean, this woman, she did something incredibly kind for us and she didn't have to. I mean, we were strangers, but she cared for us that day and we'll never forget it. Now, maybe you can think of a time in your own life where someone showed radical kindness towards you. Like maybe you've experienced someone stopping to help you change a tire on your car. Or maybe here in Wisconsin, we get a lot of snow. Uh, Maybe you've had someone help you get your car unstuck from the snow. It's like, oh, how did you get your car out? Oh, you know, just a bunch of good Samaritans. They just pull over off the side of the road. Take that, South Carolina. Just kidding, we love South Carolina. But Wisconsin, it's like it's cold, but people are kind, right? Like we help people on the side of the road. Good Samaritans. It's an expression in our culture. What a good Samaritan. Well, hey, we are in the middle of our series called Live This Book, where we are working our way through the whole story of the Bible in a year. And over the last three weeks, we've been talking about Jesus. We've talked about what it means that Jesus was human. Jesus is God. And last week, we talked about what it means that Jesus is King. And so this week... We want to talk about what it means to be kingdom people. How is it that we are supposed to live as kingdom people? Now, there are a few stories in the Bible where Jesus actually tells us a bit about how he wants us to live. And so today we're looking at one of those stories. We're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. Now, if you're not familiar, um, a a parable, it's just like a short story that Jesus would tell in order to communicate truth to his listeners in a way that they could understand it. Okay, the parables are powerful. They can help us grow in our faith in really big ways. And so today we're looking at the Good Samaritan because in this story, Jesus lays out a kingdom ethic. But before we go to the story, We need to get straight our definition, our meaning of a good Samaritan. You see, in our culture, we use this expression to talk about a stranger who does something kind for another person, right? Like the woman who got us a rental car. What a good Samaritan. But the reality is, it's so much more than that. In fact, this definition falls dramatically short from what Jesus would have intended. You see, when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he wasn't teaching us to show kindness to just like anybody. He was teaching us to show kindness to our enemies, to our enemies. This is key to understanding the parable. In fact, if we miss this, we might miss some of the heart 
of what Jesus was trying to teach us. You see, we have to go back. We have to know about the relationships between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans, they were total enemies to the Jewish people. I'm not saying like, oh, you know, they didn't really get along or, oh, well, they had a difference in opinion. You know, they had different yard signs out of their homes. No, I'm not saying that. I am talking about a long history of bad blood between these people groups. Jewish people, they despised Samaritans. Samaritans, they despised Jewish people. So how did it get to be that way? Well, the short answer is that Samaritans saw themselves as the true descendants of Israel. Okay, they actually had their own unique version of the Torah. They accepted the first five books of the Bible, but like they rejected the rest of it. So the historical books, the wisdom literature, the prophets, they didn't believe in any of that. In fact, when the Jews came back to rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans wanted to stop them. They wanted to stop those plans. Eventually, they built their own temple and they worshiped on Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. This only further intensified this division between the people groups. I was recently surprised to learn that today, in 2023, there are still around 800 some Samaritans alive on the earth. I had no idea. So you see, for the Jewish person back in Jesus's day, They could not stand the Samaritans. They were the absolute worst people because they came up with a corrupt version of the Jewish faith. For the Jewish person, it was us versus them. Those people, they have it all wrong. Those Samaritans, it's us versus them. So here we are, over 2,000 years later, And I'm not sure how well we're doing with the us versus them problem, right? It seems pretty clear that we still live in a divided world. There are divisions all around. And and I'm not even just talking about divisions like outside the church, outside of these walls. I'm talking about division right here. It's in our families. It's in our communities. It's everywhere we go. We think differently than one another. We vote differently than one another. If we get into it, we disagree on all kinds of things with one another. Sometimes, if I'm being honest, I get nervous just thinking about what the world might look like for my son when he grows up. It's like, is it going to get better? (laughs) Is it even possible that we could live in a less divided world? Well, In the gospel, Jesus tells a story and it gets at the heart of this matter. When it comes to the problem, the issue of us versus them, Jesus shows us about how things are meant to be in his kingdom. So if you've ever wondered if it's possible, if the world could possibly become less divided, listen to what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 10. Let's go there now. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so right away we see there's a man and he's there to test Jesus. Okay, never a good idea. That's just not going to work, right? But we see a man stood up to test Jesus, meaning he was trying to trap him. Now, this man, he is like an expert in the law. Now, when we see law, we think legal law nowadays, but this is the religious law. So we have a religious expert 
And we see he's trying to get Jesus to say the wrong thing here. But Jesus responds to his question with a question, and here's what he says. Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Okay, technically, this man's answer is right. Like technically, he's saying, look, the law says to love God and love your neighbor. That's true. But this wasn't enough for him. He wanted Jesus to name who specifically it is that he's supposed to love. Look what happens next. He says, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, he's basically asking, Jesus, who do I have to love? Like what's required of me here? You see, it's a trap. Because as soon as Jesus identifies who this man's neighbor is, as soon as he says, this is who you are supposed to love, he is alienating everybody else. You see, the man is is thinking about people in groups. He's going, there are those who are my neighbor and there are those who are not my neighbor. There's those who I'm called to love and those who, well, they're kind of out of bounds. I don't really have to love them. It's not exactly required of me. And Jesus, well, he just wasn't falling for it. So instead of answering this question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells the man a story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It goes like this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. All right, everybody back then knew about the road to Jericho, You see, the road to Jericho was a dangerous road. It was 17 miles long. It was in the middle of the desert. It was a place known to avoid. It was a place known for violence. It was even nicknamed like the Bloody Way or the Bloody Pass because it had such a reputation of people going down this road and getting beat up. Now, the guy listening to Jesus he definitely knew not to go down this road. Here's a picture of the road to Jericho. You can see it's just total desert. It's long, it's winding, plenty of you know, like escape routes for robbers and people attacking. You know, Think about wherever it is you live, whether you're here in Madison or you're tuning in from someplace else right now, there's probably a road in town that you want to avoid. Like there's probably a road that you don't want to be caught on late at night by yourself on foot without like a full charge on your phone. Whatever, whatever road you're thinking of, that's the road to Jericho. Okay, it's a dangerous and vulnerable place to be. So Jesus is telling a story and he's like, look, there's a guy and, and he was traveling down this dangerous road. He was on the road to Jericho. Now, we don't know much about this man, We can see he was probably Jewish, but the text doesn't tell us that explicitly. We see this guy's going down the road and he's attacked. And it wasn't like a quick mugging. It would have been brutal. It says they they took his clothes. They, They left him there lying in the road, half dead. For this man, his only hope would have been someone stopping to help him along the way. So what do you know? Let's keep going. Verse 31. 
So the priest happened to be going down the same road. That's, that's convenient. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Okay, okay, so picture this. We have a man, he's been attacked. He's in the road and who walks by but a priest? Okay, that's amazing. Like a priest would totally stop and help him. Right, I'm just saying, if I'm ever stranded on the side of the road, I'd be like pretty happy to see Pastor Matt or Pastor Charles or any of the pastors around here. That, that seems like best case scenario. It's like, hey, over here, I could use some help, right? Hey, I'm actually on your staff team, by the way, that shouldn't matter, but like, hey, like I could use some help right now. I'm sure they'd help me. Caring for people, it's, it's what they do. So a priest, yeah, that's somebody who's supposed to be compassionate. If anyone is going to stop and help, it's gotta be him. He is the most likely person. But actually, it, not exactly. It says he passed by on the other side, meaning he deliberately moved away from the person in need. Now, it's true that there would have been religious reasons that the priest wouldn't want to come in contact with the man, right? The man was bloody. So to come into contact, well, that would make him unclean and that would become a whole thing. So there were religious reasons that he wouldn't want to touch this man. So instead it's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go this way. Let somebody else help him. Like, I'm going to keep on going. And he passed him by. So next, a Levite comes down the road. Now, a Levite... You know, that's someone who would have helped with the temple worship. Okay, so that would be like if someone who just led us in that awesome worship, you, you pass Hannah Bussey out on the road and she just passes you by. Hannah would never do that, but you get what I'm saying. It's like someone passing you by. It's like he did the same thing as the priest. And then we get to verse 33 where things really start to change. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Okay, man has been attacked. He's in the road. Three people walk by him, a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan. It kind of sounds like, you know, like we're setting up a three men walked into a bar joke here, doesn't it? It's like three men walked by him, but it was the Samaritan. The Samaritan was the one who took pity. The Samaritan was the one who had compassion. For the guy listening to Jesus, this would have been difficult to stomach. It's like, not the Samaritan. I can't stand those guys. Let it, let it be one of my guys. Let it, let it be anybody but not a Samaritan. In this moment, Jesus totally knew what he was doing. He was taking on the religious elite. He was showing them what it truly means to love your neighbor. And I mean, the Samaritan, he outdid himself. Like he showed outrageous compassion to the man in the road. There's a few things we can notice about what the Samaritan did. The first thing, it's so simple, but the first thing, he saw there was a need. Okay, his eyes were open. He was looking around on the road to see the people around him. He was aware. He was able to see when he passed someone who needed assistance. 
But it didn't stop there. Next, we see that, well, he did something about it. He moved towards the person in need. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to change his plans when there was someone in his path that needed help. It's like he must have been headed somewhere. He wasn't on the road for no reason. He changed his own plans in order to help someone along the way. What we see is the Samaritan, I mean, he didn't hold back. He gave everything he had to help this man. He gave his attention, his time, his resources, his own oil and wine for the wounds, his own bandaging to help the man. And after that, he put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn and he even paid for a stay. It's like, are you kidding me? That's outrageous compassion. Who does this? And after doing all of that, after paying for the man's stay, icing on the cake, he even promises to come back to pay for any additional expense. He's like, look, this man, I've got him covered. Like from start to finish, whatever it takes, like I wanna see this man healthy and well, however long and back on the road, wherever it is that he was headed. I wanna care for this man. It's the third thing that we see in the story. We see that he paid a cost. There was a cost. I want to tell you a story. Uh, five and a half years ago, I got married uh, to my husband, AJ. Uh, it was, we had just bought a townhouse not too far from here. We had just moved in. It was like a super exciting time in life. Well, fast forward about three months, and we got a phone call from an old friend. All right. Long story short, our friend told us, he said, he knew a guy who knew a guy who just got to Madison and needed a place to live. He said he was new to the area, in between jobs, and he needed a place for at least a month, but possibly longer. <laughs> and our friend cut to the chase. He said, you know, I know you guys are newlyweds, but what do you say? <laughs> do you have any room? And we were like, to be clear, like, you don't know this guy. Like, you, you don't know him personally. And he said, nope, I've never met him. But from what I hear, he is somebody who really needs to catch a break. AJ and I, we were looking at each other on this call thinking the same thing. This is a lot to ask. Like, this is a really big ask. We don't even know this guy. He doesn't know this guy. Who is he? So we got off the phone to process, and honestly, we were overwhelmed. On one hand, we were going, no way. Like, no like, we just got married. We just moved in. It's only been three months. Like, it's not a good time. Try us again in like six months, nine months. But like right now, somebody else would do it. This just, it's not a good time. I don't think so. Wish we could help. But on the other hand, we couldn't ignore part of my story. You see, back when I was a college student here in Madison, I needed a place to live, <laughs> And there was a family that actually invited me in to live with them, that I lived with them through my junior and senior year of college, right? They had a room. I needed a room. They knew it would make a huge difference for me. So they invited me in and they gave me a place to live. So here we were years later, only this time the roles were reversed. This time somebody else needed a room and we were the ones with the room. We knew it would cost us. 
We knew that it would change what our earliest days of married life would look like. We knew that it'd be awkward in some ways. We knew that we would wake up some days and maybe regret it. We knew that we'd do things differently than we imagined, but we just knew it in our guts, in our hearts, that we needed to do this. So we called our friend back. We said, all right, like we're in. What's his name? Like, when is he moving in? You know, this guy, we, we didn't know him. We didn't really know much about him, but we knew that he needed something. And we were in a position where we could help him. And on this particular occasion, we said yes to him and we said yes to the cost and we loved him like a neighbor. Now, let me just say, this is a great story about a time where AJ and I loved someone in a way that cost us in some ways. But let me just say, this is not like how we always live. I wish it were. But the truth is there are far more times where we walk right past people all around us who are in need. Honestly, I think this is the hardest part of the kingdom ethic. It's the cost. It's like, I wanna care for people, but I'm always kind of wondering about the cost. It's like, I wanna help, but I actually do kind of have a limit of what I'm willing to give. I don't like to admit it, but the cost matters to me. What we see in this parable Jesus is teaching us that loving people, it's going to cost us our time, our resources, our energy, sometimes even our money and our comfort. So after telling uh, the religious man this story, Jesus, he, he asks him a question. He says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. He said the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say it was the Samaritan, not the priest, not the Levite. It was the Samaritan, but he can't even say it because that's how much he can't stand them. And Jesus responds and he just simply says, go and do likewise. He's saying, look, now you know who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is anyone you see who you are in a position to help, even if they are your enemy, even a Samaritan. Now go and love your neighbor. It's funny that this is called the parable of the good Samaritan because the word good and Samaritan, they're actually never used together in the story, right? That's like the heading you'll see in your Bible, but it's nowhere to be found in the story. And that's because no one would have put these words together back then. Good and Samaritan, they did not go together. It's like, no way, that would be unthinkable. You know, we can't understand how offensive this is. We have no idea because today, I mean, we name hospitals after the Good Samaritan. We think of comfort and security, but back then this would have been alarming. This would have been outrageous. Today, that would be like, it'd be like saying the good Taliban leader. It's like, oh, that, that doesn't sit right. It'd be like saying the, the good human trafficker. It's like, no, that's unthinkable. That's no way. For the Ukrainian, it might be the good Russian soldier. It's like, whoa, I'm, I'm like uncomfortable right now. Are you uncomfortable right now? That's the point Jesus was trying to make. You see, we should all feel attention with this ethic. 
because it is completely different than the world. In the world, there are gonna be people we meet on the road who are easy to, help, easy to love and those who are hard to love. I mean, think about it. The man on the road to Jericho, yeah, that's somebody who's hard to love. Like he was bloody, he had needs, it was costly. But AJ and I and like our baby waiting for our rental car, not so much. Let's be honest, we were pretty easy to help. Everybody wants to help someone with a baby, plus he's like a really cute baby. You can trust me on that. I'm betting that for all of us, there are people in our lives who we just have an easy time loving. It's like, sure, extra mile for you, whatever you need, stay as long as you'd like, take my car. It's like, there are people that are easy to love and there are those who are just, they're just harder to love for whatever reason. Maybe for the person on the left politically, it might be the person on like the far right or for the person on the right politically, it might be the person on the far left. It's the person who feels like other to you. It's the person who you just can't stand. When you think about us versus them in your own life, who is the them? That's who your neighbor is. That's who you're called to love. Look, I know that many of us are loving people. We, we genuinely care. We wanna do our part to make this world a better place. And let me just say, Blackhawk Church, you are amazing at this. Like I know so many Blackhawkers who are outrageously compassionate and outrageously generous. And that is so important. So hear me, like I see that that's not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm saying is, if we think that our neighbors are only those who look like us, think like us, act like us, and agree with us, we might be missing the point Jesus is making. Because Jesus is showing us that our neighbor is anyone who we see, who has a need, who we can potentially help them, no matter who they are. Jesus is laying out a kingdom ethic that is so radical, it's difficult for us to picture this fully lived out right? Because we've never seen it fully lived out. But that's what the kingdom is going to be like. The kingdom is going to be a place where there are no enemies. Everyone will love. Everyone will be loved. No one will ever be in need. He's trying to help us understand that there are no boundaries in the kingdom of God. There's actually no such thing as us versus them. And as kingdom people, we simply cannot accept that there is a them, we are called to love all people on the road, no matter their circumstance, no matter their background, their language, their ethnicity, their sexuality, their gender, their past, their life choices. It's about loving anyone I see who is in need. This is a hard teaching. <laughs> but if we're gonna be kingdom people, we're called to embrace the king's ethics. Now, there's one question that still lingers. Uh, you have to wonder, why didn't the priest and the Levite stop, right? They, they were, you know, they took God's law seriously. I imagine they were good people. So why didn't they stop? There's a famous speech called, I've Been to the Mountaintop by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., where he responds to this very question. And here's what Dr. King says. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt the man on the ground was merely faking. 
And he was acting like he'd been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them for a quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priests asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? The Samaritan, he understood. He reversed the question. Not what will happen to me, what will happen to him? This is the heart of the parable. What will happen to others? Dr. King gave this speech on April 3rd of 1968, the day before he was assassinated. This was his final speech. And in it, he wondered what the world might look like if we could all learn to love our neighbor if the whole Jericho Road could be transformed. You know, there's a reality that every single one of us is on a Jericho Road. We all encounter people every single day who are in need, people who need help. So let me ask you, what's your Jericho Road? What road do you drive down and pass by people every single day who need help? Where do you spend your time? Who are the people on the road with you? I'm telling you, when you look down that road, there's going to be people who are easy to help, easy to love, and those who are hard to love. And as kingdom people, we're called to love all people on the road. As it begins to sink in to our hearts and our minds that there are no boundaries in the kingdom of God, we become free and enabled to truly love anyone in our path, anyone that we meet. If you've ever wondered, how is it? How is it that the church is going to stand out from the world? This is it. If we can love our neighbors, how are our families gonna know we follow the king? It's if we love our neighbors. Like how are our friends going to know that we live differently? We're a part of a kingdom. It's if we love our neighbors. How are our literal neighbors, our coworkers, and anyone that we meet going to know that we follow the king? It is if we love our neighbors. I'm telling you, this can transform our communities. This can change our world when we embrace this ethic. When we love people, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of where they came from, regardless of anything about them, except for the fact that they're a loved human made in the image of God and God loves them. When we love like that, the world can't help but take notice. So again, who's on the road with you? There are gonna be people who look like you and act like you and think like you, and there will be those who don't. We're called to love all people on the road. We're called to be kingdom people. We're called to love our neighbor. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to live and embody the perfect kingdom ethic, that he loved us, that you loved us, God, while we were still in our sin, you came and you gave us life. And God, I pray that we would be inspired today by this timeless teaching that you gave thousands of years ago, that we would be moved today to wanna love people, not just people who are like us. The world does that too, God, but would you help us and move us to love people who are not like us? Would you help us to truly see who it is you've called us to love, who it is that is our neighbor? We thank you, Jesus, for this time. We pray all of this in your name.